Hey, witches. Hi. Uh, welcome to Wrestling Witch Face, kind of, mm-hmm. adjacent. Wrestling Witch Face adjacent, uh-huh. um, which is actually going to be called Teen Spirit. And by yes. that, I mean our new podcast is called <laughs> Teen Spirit. Our new podcast is called Teen Spirit, you guys. Um, the audio that you're about to hear is the first episode of our new podcast and we're really excited to share it with you guys we hope that you're gonna love it luckily i think it's gonna be a seamless transition because the first film that we're talking about is of course i know you did last summer do um, you what did i do <laughs> bitch i know i, I know nothing. everything you do every summer because we are hang out together all the time that's true um but We would really love if you guys would stick around to hear the new podcast, Um, and it would really mean a lot to us if you would go on over to Teen Spirit on iTunes and subscribe and rate, review, and subscribe there. Um, You can also follow us at Teen Spirit Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Sure. And you can email us at teenspiritpod at gmail.com, I guess. Um, (laughs) There's just so many new channels. So much is going on. Um, More more updates and details to come. But for now, I feel like... Yeah, let's let's just get right into it. Yeah, just sit back and relax and enjoy Enjoy. the show. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Teen Spirit. I'm Bailey Bennett. I'm Grant Jacoby. And this is the, the pilot episode. Our first app. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You might recognize our voices from the podcast Resting Witch Face. That's right. These two witches have spent the last two years together recording a very spooky podcast that we love, but um, we're we're ready to move on to something new and exciting. So in case you don't and know. Young. And, <laughs> and young. We're feeling young. really we're young. We're feeling super young, um, which is why we're definitely here to talk about films that came out um, 15 to, to 25 years ago. Um, in case you guys didn't know, this this podcast is about the films that shaped our youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and being close to 30 at this point, yeah. those films came out in the 90s and mm-hmm. the 2000s. And the film we're going to talk about today, we're going to take you right back to 1997, right. a great year. Mm-hmm, Do perfect. you remember 1997? I was five. I was six. Wow. So a lot in common with the characters in this film, which mm-hmm. is, I know you did last summer. Because we have such a spooky past, we were very thrilled to be starting out with this film. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm going to admit right off the bat mm-hmm. that Grant, is going to have more of a history with this film than I do. Um, And that's going to be a theme moving forward with this podcast because I came to horror later in life. Well, when we're talking about horror films. Mm -hmm. Yes. When we're talking about horror films, which is not going to be every episode, but whenever it does come up, um, I was a little bit of a scaredy cat when I was younger. Shocking, really. I saw this movie for the first time approximately two to three years ago. Okay. Well, uh, that is something. Mm -hmm. What about you? Um, I don't remember the first time I watched it. It definitely was a film. I feel like with this movie and Scream, I remember seeing the trailers on TV and they like freaked the absolute shit out of me. And yet I was so fascinated. Mm -hmm. I also read the book before I saw the movie. There's a book. There's a book. (laughs) Who wrote the book? Lois Duncan. I I had no idea this was this was based off of a book. Oh yep. Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> I have done my research. It, that, well, okay. Okay. No, no, but no. But but just don't fret. Yes. Um. The aside from the fact that the book was called "I Know You Did Last Summer," mm-hmm. and features a hit and run. Okay. That is about where the similarities begin and end. Okay. Got it. Overall, I mean, 
I I haven't read the book since 2002, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak to Miss Duncan's um, novel. Uh huh. But uh, okay, we can talk about that more. We can later talk about that talk later. About plot. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. Before we get into a, a quick recap. My favorite kind of like party trick when it comes to this film is that we know that, okay, of course, the first film is called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. And the second one is very fittingly called I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. And just like using using the information from those two films, very few people know that there's actually a third film. There is. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, okay. Of course you have. I came um, <laughs> locked and loaded and ready. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, but my favorite kind of trick is to say, cause no, nobody knows what that film is called, but knowing what the first two are called, if you had to guess what the third film was called, it would have to be. Susan I'll, al- <laughs> I'll always know what you did last summer. Which the creativity there is top notch. Uh-huh. And yet the third film has nothing to do with the first two. Oh, really? I th- I uh, I saw it like on some sort of like bootleg Netflix like ten years ago, and okay, it's, I it's like I feel like it's one of those films that was maybe shot under a different title, and then mm-hmm. whatever studio was producing it was like, oh, this could be. <laughs> they like, were like, you know what? Let's just wrap it in and make yeah. it a whole franchise. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna notice. Which is so unfortunate because it really could have been like a perfect trilogy. But yeah. They just really shot their wad well, with um, I Still Know You Did Last Summer, which we're not going to talk about today. No. We're going to talk about the first one. The first one, which, mwah, mwah. chef's kiss. Okay, well, I feel like we're going to disagree a little bit on this. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, I'm done with that. That's okay. Um, That's what we're here for. We're here for the discourse. We're here, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I also want to disclose that Grant and I are drinking alcohol right now in case you hear a little sloshing in the microphone. That's also going to be a theme. Yes. Um, um, but also to be very transparent, we are drinking cider. Mm-hmm. That is a whopping 4.5% alcohol. So Bailey is honey, trashed. I mean, and Grant is, I'm like, recording this from a, a lying down position on the floor. No, it's okay. where my ideal no, no. position is always horizontal. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. We're professionals. We um, certainly are. So the way that we kind of want to start out these films, because yeah. the whole the whole point of this podcast is revisiting something that meant something to us in our youth. And yes. as I've just disclosed, it didn't mean as much to me in my youth. It meant something to you. But I think it's important and interesting and funny for us to write down our assumptions about what a rewatch of this film is going to mm-hmm. be like before we watch it, which I know we both did before we watched this film. So before we get into the discussion, do you want to go over a couple assumptions that we have? Yeah, please. Okay. Well, all I wrote, I think the most important thing and something that we're going to have to acknowledge right away is that Sarah Michelle Gellar is not given the respect that she deserves in this film. She's certainly not. That is the biggest takeaway. The biggest takeaway. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Helen Shivers deserves so much. <laughs> Helen I tweeted it Justice while watching for it. Helen Shivers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think uh, you guys are also going to quickly notice that a big, a big part of the reason why we wanted to do this uh, film first is because we do have a deep and um, ever-growing obsession with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yes. Um, both oh. Bailey and I are avid Buffy watchers. Mm. I was at my peak obsession with Buffy circa 2002. Bailey's mm-hmm. peak obsession was circa 2018. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was 17. 17. Sorry. Again, 
I'm coming to it late, but I am fully here now. But that is why I feel like our mutual obsession with these films and these various TV landscapes are so interesting, Mm -hmm. I would think. Yeah. Is because oftentimes we're coming from a nostalgia lens from my standpoint Mm -hmm. and from a very current... uh, academic if you will okay yeah i mean if you sure. want if you want to say if you want to say it i was a film major and i'm not gonna hide it you certainly were <laughs> my mother wished i was a film major and she always was like why don't you take more film classes i was like because i'm busy cross-dressing in all of the musicals <laughs> bailey and i went to college together by we the did. Way. we're friends um another another assumption that i had is that this whole cast is still hot and i think that that's a fair assumption um, this whole cast has aged beautifully. Perfectly. Great. We're in agreement. Okay, this is an interesting one. I said, I feel like this is a film that thinks it's giving you strong female characters, but actually misses the mark in terms of representation. And having watched the film again, I'm going to say that's kind of true. But we'll get into it. We sh- sure will. Okay. I also wrote, truly no idea who the killer is. Can't remember at all, even though I saw this two years ago. <laughs> Amazing. Um, oh, this is, I also think, interesting. If I want to toot my own horn about all the interesting assumptions that I made. Please. Um, I think this movie is more notorious and memorable for its name than any of the actual content or the story itself. Yes. Okay. Do you have anything you want to add? Um, I wanted to add that I wanted to see... So I've seen this film numerous times, probably most recently about a year ago, but was not watching it under any sort of lens. Uh-huh. So my big things I want to take note of were to see the chemistry, if any, between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. as they are currently married oh. and did meet and fall in love while making this film. That's a good point. Um, and I wanted to see uh, how much denim would oh. Jennifer Love Hewitt wear mm-hmm. in approximately 105 minutes mm. the answer is so much so much so much most. and i cannot wait to discuss it more great um and yes i was interested to see watching it through less of a, a nostalgia mm. or a sort of like oh my god like mm, lens right <laughs> to see <laughs> okay like yes how is the representation of, right. of women and women mm. in this film it, mm. there's Something I think that is near and dear to us, as you will see, this podcast continues, is we're going to talk about the representation of women and the representation of the LGBTQ community. This film... There is no representation. Representation, except for the time... I don't know if you caught this, Mm. because I had to rewind three times to make sure I heard it correctly, when Ryan Phillippe's character, Ray... Uh Uh-huh. No, Barry. 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 No. Ray is Freddie Prinze Jr. Oh, fuck. It's okay. (laughs) Um... In, in reference to the fisherman in one scene, yeah. just casually says, they're like, oh, like, make sure you go, like, watch Helen. And if you see the fisherman, and he goes, yeah, I'll pound his ass. Nice. And I was like, mm, all mm. right. Okay. Wow. So we do have queer representation. We, we do. Wow. We do. Incredible. Some nice top representation from Barry. Amazing. <laughs> okay, so. The men don't matter in this film one bit. Does anyone matter in this film Helen shivers. Okay, (laughs) you're right. She always matters. All right. I feel that we've aired our assumptions. Yes. Now let's get into the rewatch. Please. Um, I'm going to give a quick recap to start. I wrote this myself, so thank you. Um, TM. (laughs) 
On the 4th of July, 1996, in the seaside town of Southport, North Carolina, four friends named Julie James, sorry girl, Ray Bronson, Helen Shivers, and Barry Cox. Just like, right off the bat. <laughs> sorry, Barry Cox. Barry Cox and Helen Shivers. Yeah. I'm, we, we, I don't know, drinking game alert, whenever you hear the word Helen Shivers, because mm. I will only refer to her by first and last name. Of like, course. What a mwah, mm. name is that? Perfect. And I mean... Barry Cox, again, our our queer representation. Thank you, Ryan yes. Phillippe. Um, they're they're driving along the beach after a night of drinking and celebrating. While Ray, who is played by Freddie Prince Jr., is the driver and is sober, Barry is very drunk and sloppy, and he's kind of distracting the car full of friends enough to accidentally strike a man crossing the road. And I did note that this inciting incident happens only 14 minutes into the film. After fun. yeah, after much deliberation, the friends decide to dispose of the man's seemingly dead body by throwing it into the ocean, only to find at the last second that he isn't actually dead after all. Mm-hmm. However, they escape his clutches and leave him to perish in the ocean, and the four of them swear to never speak of this night again. One year later, however, the group starts receiving mysterious letters and sinister messages that suggest the man they thought they murdered might not be fully gone. Um, I'll also say this was directed by Jim Gillespie and written by Scream's own Kevin Williamson. Um, And the film premiered on October 17th, 1997. um, And it made over $125 million at the box office, which for a film that cost $17 million to make, which honestly feels high for what the product was, I will say. Um, This was actually a a really successful uh, film economically Mm -hmm. uh, or financially. And although the critical reviews were mixed, um, some Talking. some said it paled in comparison to Williamson's predecessor, which was Scream, and I think that we can yes. all agree on that. Um, did you know that this was written before Scream? I did not. Yes. Clearly, so. I don't know anything, and you know everything about this movie. So Happy please to tell help. me. Happy to help. <laughs> so I'm here to mansplain. Mm, great. Um, just kidding. We hate men on this Mm-mm-mm. podcast. So fun fact. So Scream came out in 1996, also written by Kevin Williamson. Yes. And... Because Scream is so successful, there was like a hot bidding war to like anything else he'd written before, which uh-huh. happened to be the screenplay, which was rushed into production and released less than a year after yeah. Scream, around the same time as Scream 2. And actually, fun fact, Sarah Michelle Geller, who is featured in Scream 2, filmed those two films right back to back. Makes um, sense. I have no idea how she did that and also was filming Buffy at the same time. I mean, a queen. But we, also a she can do true anything. goddess. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah, so she she wrapped... This is all also like, I know this is simply just from IMDb trivia. He's reading absolutely... He's reading off of nothing right now. This is all from memory. <laughs> from earlier today. Uh, <laughs> that she wrapped... I know we did last summer and went right into Scream 2. Which is like... Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Iconic. Uh... I mean, so should we just get into it? Yeah. Let's let's discuss this freaking film. I took notes, bitch. Ooh. And I know you did too. I did. Here's my hot take. Yeah, let's Yeah, what are the overall impressions? I think, I think this movie is bad. Like it's like I think it's really bad. I don't think it's <laughs> I actually see that's interesting cuz I in in watching it from a critical lens, I was like this actually I feel isn't that bad. Okay. Interesting. It's okay. not, I mean, it's not great. It's, not, it's it's certainly not great. It's very convoluted. 
Yes. Unnecessarily oh. so. Well, I have, I mean, I have some, I have some points yeah, yeah, to no, back no, it no, up. Please. But well, one of the first things I'll say is that I don't think that this film is as fun as I was, would hope that it would be. No, it's a bummer. It's, it's a real bummer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's kind of, it, and it has some of the cheesy elements that make, you know, a 1997 film fun to watch today. But for the most part, it's, it is a series of extremely gruesome murders. And we sh- And yet there's like virtually no blood. But it's, I would say it's graphic though. I mean, would the f- you? yeah, well, okay. So, I mean, if, if you've never seen the film, I, I don't know, you should watch it, but yeah, watch the film and then, yeah, but like, so rent for a dollar on Amazon. Or, truly. It was nine, 99 cents from like worth the, every the penny. GameStop, yeah. uh, DVD that I purchased back in like 2006. Incredible. Uh, but if you if you don't remember the the murderer is a a fisherman who kills people with this fish hook, which is like the strangest. It is the stupidest. Like, it's really dumb. <laughs> it's like a Mary Kate and Ashley t- like level villain to me. Well, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, especially because his reasoning behind the murders is okay flimsy as yes fuck. Okay, yes, I want to get to that. Okay, we'll get to the ending later. Okay, sorry. No, it's fine. I mean... Jumping ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, some of the... Re- so, like, the the fact that it's not that fun is something that bothers me. But the thing that... I think one of the things that bothers me the most is the characters that this film is set around are actually really unlikable. And I don't think that you ever get to a place where you really care about them that much. Maybe Julie's character... Jennifer Love Hewitt, like, maybe you get to a place with her and Ray a little bit. See... See, I think that, and then more and more I watch the film, mm. I feel like the only character that is given proper character development, and I feel like you actually sympathize with, is Helen Shivers. Because Sarah Michelle Gellar is, I, I feel, is very, very likable. Yeah. She's kind of this, like, because you have this, you, right off the bat, you have archetypes. You have the sure. prom queen, Helen Shivers. Yes. You have the football pro, uh, Barry Cox. Yes. You have the plain Jane, Julie James, mm-hmm. Jennifer Love Hewitt, and you have whatever the fuck that I, Freddie Prince Jr. is supposed to be. Like, truly. Fisherman's son, well, like, yeah. wayward outcast, and yet also, like, kind of, like, the the fact that those four are friends makes literally yes, no sense. exactly. Thank you. Yes. That bothers me a lot. Also, like, Julie and Helen would truly never speak to each other. No. And the fact that I feel like if the film had been crafted where it's like, oh, these like four like happened to be involved in this accident, just like yes, like holy shit, they're bound by this. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Would be really interesting. Instead, you have this like, oh, they were like all friends, and it's right. like senior year, and they're like going off together. But to look back to my point that I was making, mm-hmm. I feel that Helen. You know, she talks about how she wants to go to New York and become an actress. Yeah. And then you see how that doesn't really work out because mm-hmm. she's, like, racked with guilt. And she's kind of this, like, fallen from grace prom queen. And yet, yeah. also, like, you, you, like, see her family life and that her sister is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Her dad ignores her. Yeah. And she's now, like, working at their, like, family department store. And, like, I, just, I don't know. I just, yeah. like, I feel for her. Absolutely. And especially, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, like. <laughs> The climactic scene where she is on the run for the killer. Oh is my god! Constantly like devastating. That to is me. the peak of my anxiety. Yeah, and it's and so, but it's a great scene. Yes. Um, but I feel like I in, in watching the film today. Once she dies, I was like, 
well, I have no, I have no interest because right. Julie James is literally the biggest wet fucking yeah, blanket. She sucks. She sucks so much. All she does is like whine and then scream. Yeah. And well, I will say Jennifer Love Hewitt does have a nice set of pipes. Yeah. Like she's a great Good, screamer. Great screamer. But she screams at in that yeah. last like third act. Oh screams yeah. Screams at every single thing. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. I think it would have made a lot more sense if these four people had been kind of like thrown together, but instead they try to make it that like, okay, uh, Julie and Ray are together and Barry and Helen Shivers are together. And they're like having this fun night out where let me point out, they're sitting on the beach surrounding a campfire and they're telling a ghost story. And I took a note because literally everyone in the circle already knows the ghost story and they're Mm -hmm. correcting each other. So why are they telling this ghost story? Who is listening? No one. Me, I guess. Yeah, the... the Incredible the exposition. <laughs> well, it's it's clearly like, oh, like, we're going to set up the fact right. that this killer is going to have a hook for the hand. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this urban legend where this guy has a hook. and Right. Eh. It's... But, okay, so here are some of the problems for me. Yeah. First of all, they try to set up this, like, class socioeconomic conflict with the fact that like Ray's family is more poor than the rest of them. Like bullshit. But they literally like it's never revisited besides the fact that he's like still working in the town but you never see you never meet yeah you never meet anyone in his family like you never see where he lives like except for one time where I think you might see where he lives and his house is huge like it's I think that's Barry's house is definitely like he's like the rich guy. Yeah for sure. But Helen isn't I mean, right. It's, it's like, I mean, they all live in this like sleepy seaside town, which I definitely think is like a Kevin Williamson special because he's also the writer of Dawson's Creek. Yes. They go to Dawson's beach. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I actually will say that I really enjoy the setting of this film Mm -hmm. because it feels like it is unique and that it's not just like a slice of suburbia or like a, like a urban metropolis. It's like this like seaside Town, the fact that the climax takes place on a boat, like there's yeah, a lot it's of things utilized. That are unique. Yeah. Um, although, like clearly, like when they're driving around, it's like that is just the cliffs of California. Like, Absolutely, North Carolina is full on fucking <laughs> yeah, flat, flat, but flat as fuck. Absolutely. Um, uh, but but yeah, I agree. I like the setting, but I don't think that they they don't really utilize like it. It kind of just seems like everyone in, in this town is pretty well off and I think they're trying to set up this this distinction between like the people who, who work the ships and like all the the really like rich people in the town but not but, even but it you feels don't like feel it's like it. okay like it's like this like f- fishing town and yet they're like when they go out to like the quote unquote the sticks which right. is the house in the conjuring I don't yeah. know if you noticed that oh my god yeah that you're is, right that is the full on house t- in the conjuring totally right okay um when they go visit Anne Hache nice Hache? Missy yeah what what how do you pronounce and Hesh? I don't know. All right. Be that, act- know. Be that actress? I don't know. Formerly um, girlfriend of Ellen DeGeneres. Really? I don't know how much am I like teaching you? Why about, do I not know like, anything about this? Okay, yeah, sick. Ellen DeGeneres and Anne Hesh like dated in like the nineties, the and fuck? then Anne Hesh like had this like full on mental breakdown, like thought she was seeing aliens. Oh my god. You need to do some research. Wow, I need girl. to what Jeez. am I doing? All right, so actually we're gonna wrap this up Bye. so Bailey okay. can do her homework. Uh, um, um just no. kidding. I No, all I'm, I'm gonna do I'm is just I'm gonna this. keep yelling my opinions at you. Um no, please, I'm enjoying it. Okay, thoroughly. yeah. So that that bothered me. And another thing is Barry's entire character made me want to pull my hair out. Like I truly yeah. he is like 
toxic masculinity personified and he is at a, he is at a 10 from mm-hmm. the beginning of the film like there is there's not a moment where he is acting like a normal person like mm-hmm. he is screaming mm-hmm. every line pushing people around like attacking mm-hmm. his girlfriend demeaning any woman that comes within his yep. path it is insane i hate him <laughs> but you're also also not supposed to like him i, I feel right. like had had the writing had some finesse you would have had like, I feel like it was very clear. Like he was supposed to be the jock, the douchebag. Right. Like, he, he's the first one to die. Like you're not supposed to care about him. Yeah. But he, but he, he's still around long enough. He's around like, for a while. He dies like right before form. Helen does. No, which is actually a, a critique I have. And, and I can, I can respect a film that isn't afraid to kill off its main characters. Like halfway, three quarters through the film. But I just, again, I just, I, I didn't care about him. No, and 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 honestly, like, I think that's actually a big issue with this film is because you set up this core four, mm-hmm. the deaths that happen outside of those core four are really irrelevant. Totally. Um, actually, the the death of Max was actually added in later, like in post-production. Because Why? Because they, like, they were like, no one dies until okay. an hour into the film. Like, we need to set up the sense of dread. Okay. But his death is, like, meaningless and, like, makes no sense in the narrative plot. And then, I mean, my biggest issue I have is the fact that, like, this Fisherman character is, like, taunting this group of teens where he sends a letter allegedly just to Julie. Right. Saying, I know know what you did last summer. Exclamation point. point. (laughs) I was, I lost my goddamn mind when I was watching that today. I was like. It's just like, it's so cutesy and it's so it's stupid. It's so funny. He's like, I'm making a point. It's like. <laughs> Literally. Okay. This exclamation. Yes. Um, and the fact that he runs over Barry with a car and uh, leaves him to, le- lets him live. Yeah. And Barry just survives. He breaks into Helen's house and cuts her hair, which honestly, to this day, is still the scariest scene to me is when he's just like walking around her house. Simply because when the first time. Oh. Yes. Now I remember the first time I watched it, it was on TV. Yes. And I was probably, like, nine or ten years old. And I was scared shitless. Just, like, this, like, co- oh my lumbering, God. like, yes. man, like, falling around, like, Buffy yes. around her house. I'm like, leave her alone. I mean, sure. When you see him, he's walking up the staircase and she's turning that corner <gasps> and she just misses terrifying. him. No, absolutely terrifying. But then he does cut her hair into a sensible bob, which is... A sensible season two Buffy bob. Confusing. Like, her hair looks great afterwards. Yeah. I'm like, oh, perfect. Just like, <laughs> cut off the, all those extensions. So you have, yeah, so you have the running over the car, the note, and the cutting, um, giving Helen a sensible bob. Right. And then leaves Max's body in Julie's car. Right. So you have, like, all these, like, taunting these, like, threats. But yeah. it's like... So what is your end game? But, yeah, what is the motive? Are we trying to kill all of them? Are we trying to scare all of them? So this is a thing that every time I watch this movie, I'm still constantly confused. Yes. Which is that we have David Egan. Yes. Who we believe is the victim of this hit and run because apparently the who they hit is so is disfigured beyond belief that they're like, sure. it has to be this guy who, whose body ends up washing up to shore. And actually we see in the early parts of the film drinking on the cliffside. Right. Turns out that he and his girlfriend, whose name is something, uh-huh. uh, Susie, yes, died, or she, they were in a car accident. She died mm-hmm. on these cliffs. Yes. And then actually Ben Willis, it must be Susie Willis, Ben Willis, can I just give this away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, this is a spoiler-full <laughs> podcast. Her father yes. killed David Egan on the anniversary of Susie's death 
and then happened to then get hit by this group of teenagers and mm-hmm. then survived that hit and run mm-hmm. and then for some reason was like, let me get back at these kids yes. for running me over while I was disposing of a book. It makes no sense. Absolutely. That I believe is correct because is I, correct. I also spent a lot of time being like, okay, so this is, this is the version we're going with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's, I mean, there's, there's many problems with this. I'm almost positive that the body they hit is wearing the exact outfit that David Egan is wearing. When you see him in the first scene, I'm of the sure movie, that's intentional, which is uh, okay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> fine. But I think, yes, I think the biggest issue with this is that I think this, the storyline of a father seeking revenge for his daughter's death is compelling to me. Definitely. Like, I think the fact that he would want to get revenge against this guy because of her and he decides to kill him on the anniversary of her death. Sure, that makes a ton of sense. I mm-hmm. care about that story. But then when, <laughs> exactly, it changes to him then getting accidentally hit because he just committed a murder on this road. So then now he's seeking revenge against these four kids for hitting him who had nothing to do with his daughter. It was a true accident. Like they did. It was a true, which also like from the get go, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, ah, like they'd be like, it's manslaughter. I'm like, (laughs) it's like, yes, but also like, I get the whole thing. Like, Barry dropped the bottle of booze in yeah. Ray's lap. So it's like, oh, like, no one will believe that Ray was driving. And it yep. was actually Barry. I mean, that no, no, it was Ray. But, like. They should have confessed from the beginning, obviously. And then there, there would have been no issue. <laughs> no issue at all. Um, but not, yeah, to mention, not to mention the fact that. So he's seeking revenge against them. But he's also killing anyone he yep. comes in contact with. Like you said already, like, the Max killing makes no sense. I mean, I guess. Helen's sister makes a little more sense because she's there, but like it's police office. It's really flimsy. It's It's brutal as fuck. And it's like, I guess you're supposed to just believe like, okay, this guy snapped. Like this father lost his daughter. He doesn't care who he kills at this point. But there's also the arguments to be made of him being like, okay, like my daughter died way too young. So let me kill 10 teenagers. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's yeah. The, the ending is, terrible it's absolute trash i'm sorry well and they go about this like weird like roundabout way of trying to integrate that aspect into the story where they go and visit david egan's sister missy played right. by Hayes, who um and then there's a whole like billy blue which turns out to be it's ray ray and again i remember watching the first time and being like huh mm-hmm. it's just like way too many red herrings and like right. it's like con- it, there's no concrete through line, and especially the fact, oh, this is the thing that drives me actually the most insane about teen slasher films is that the adults are fucking useless. Use, absolutely useless. Like, the police are useless. I mean, yeah. whoever that deputy who is driving Helen Shivers to her literal demise, oh like, deserve to get killed. <laughs> and also when she's, like, running into the crowd, and she's like, they're, ki- like, Barry's being murdered in the balcony, and everyone's like, wait, stop. Yeah. Let me hold Let me grab you. you. Like, let me just go in for a quick hug, SMG. Yep. It's so infuriating, and yes. it gets mocked brilliantly in a scary movie. Actually, a lot of this film gets mocked really brilliantly in a scary movie. Okay, amazing. Obviously, um, I've never seen that movie. <laughs> Who am featured. I? What am I doing? Um, um, yes, I think there there are a lot of moments in this film that are so anxiety-inducing because 
it's just absurd how how useless the people in this town yep. are. Even the moment when Sarah Michelle Geller, Helen Shivers, however you want to refer to her, is running towards the door of her family's store and her oh. fucking Oh, her. I mean, the entire. Or st- stupid bitch of a sister. Yeah. When she, oh, <laughs> fucking Elsa. Elsa's so dumb. Elsa is like the. So the, dumb. All she does is be an absolute bitch. Can you imagine? You are you're you're standing inside of an establishment, and your sibling, even if you don't like them, is standing outside of that door, screaming bloody murder, banging on the door, like probably has tears and like probably blood all over her body, and you're like oh my God, like, why are you being so dramatic? It's like, that is not a real, that's not a real person. That's not a character. For me, that scene was when Julie is on the boat with Ben Willis and she sees all the photos that he's taken of like her and her friends. And he comes in, he's like, hey, like, do you need help? And she's like, yes, I need help. Um, (laughs) Just going to pretend like these photos aren't like plastered up next to me. Like, gotta go. Or, uh, oh, yep. <laughs> Go ahead. Or even at the end, when she and Ray are like finally reunited, and she's and he's just like, I forget which one. I think she says it to him, like, I like get, like, I understand you like more than anyone else. I'm like, yeah. Do you? Do you? Do you guys have, know each other at yeah, all? Have we seen you guys interact except the time you guys fucked on the beach? Which I oh. will say. <laughs> Isn't actually an interesting, nice trope that uh-huh. usually in horror films, sex equals death. And the right. fact that you have the innocent girl yep. and her boyfriend copulate mm-hmm. and it does not lead to instant death. Yeah. Um, although I guess how much copulation can be done when you're wearing a, an ankle length jean skirt? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And I would also point to the amount of sand that would inevitably yeah. get inside of you. A lot of, a lot of crevasses are yeah. just like packed full of sand. Okay, this I think this is a great moment to transition into yeah, just talking about the fashion a little bit. And okay, another hot take that I have. Another hat take. Another hat take <laughs> is that the fashion in this film is not that bad. Uh I find it to be in some ways kind of chic. Kind of it's it's honestly back in style. Like the tiny sunglasses and like okay. uh, like a mini skirt. Like, it is, and like, a halter top, like, that's kind of in. Okay, anything that is worn not by Jennifer Love Hewitt, yeah. I'll, uh, I can get behind. But okay. the whole time watching it today, I just was like, how, how much more denim can we see? Sure. Like, jeans. Yep. Overalls. Oh, the overalls are, are they're and absolutely huge overalls. Like, billow, e- billowy. E- enormous, like, yeah. you're painting your mom's bathroom Absolutely, overalls. Yes. Joveralls, if you will, because they are also I will. denim. I will. Yeah, but like other than that, there was, I mean, she also wears a, a lot of bucket hats. At God least I, I have a note here that says first first bucket hat spotted. So <laughs> we know we, we know that <laughs> that happened. Um, but I think in general, it's like, it's more timeless than not. Like it wasn't constantly yeah. distracted by the fashion, no. which is rare for a film from 1997. And aside from the ending scene where Julie is on the phone with Ray in this like really weird shower scene where yeah. they're like, oh, like, I miss you too, but I'll see you in like a couple months. Like, like she basically is it's like super weird. She's like, yeah. love you too, Ray. Like, and she's on this like giant cell phone. There's yeah. actually like no reference to technology, yeah. which actually I think holds up really nicely in terms mm-hmm. of the current, lexicon yeah absolutely agree i think it is an it's a nice like 
like you said, that I think the setting really lends itself to that. It's like it's just like a slice of their lives in mm-hmm. this little town, and you don't have to really think about the outside world that much, which I do think helps the movie. Totally. Um, one other thing that I want to talk about is, and and this kind of goes along with the character development that we were talking about before, but I do think like Kevin Williamson struggles to write female friendships a little bit because I think that's mm-hmm. something that was. In general, like this, this group of people wouldn't spend time together. But in particular, there's a large stretch of the film where it really is like Julie and Helen who are trying to do this together and like going to see Missy and like trying, mm-hmm. you know, trying to spend time together. And you're supposed to believe that these girls used to be really good friends and they've grown apart because of the incident, of course. But I think like I think it's a theme a, a, a theme that you see in Scream as well, where it's like yeah he writes that Sydney Sydney Prescott's character has female friends and like they're there but they're so underutilized, which is interesting because actually that was a big takeaway I had from watching it today, which is like holy shit like not not that the the friendship is developed well but I'm like I care about Helen like I like want yeah. to see her survive and maybe it's the bias of like loving SMG yeah. But, like, there's so much more of the script that's dedicated to seeing Julie and Helen. Yeah, And actually, right. even in the ending credits, it goes Jennifer Love Hewitt and then Sarah Michelle Gellar yeah. and Ryan Philby, then Freddie Prince Jr. And yet, Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt are the two that survive because they're, like, the couple. And yet, right. like, I don't give a shit about either of these people. I don't give a shit about their relationship. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. Like, I, I will give it that, and I will agree with you that this film really, it does focus on the women for a lot of the movie. And that that's great. And that's mm-hmm. kind of rare for like a 90s horror film like this. And it's and it's a theme for, for Kevin Williamson, again, who obviously the Scream franchise revolves around a woman that you care about a lot. Um, and, I, and I don't want to discount that. I do want to point out that sh- Julie's character is damseled in the end. And it is... Ray, who has to come in and save yes. her. I was interested in that because, specifically, because I think Helen Shivers, aside from the, the last second right. when she decides to turn around and see if the killer's behind her, and yeah. then he miraculously appears it's, on the other side of her. So exhausting. She's pretty. She like, holds her own. She holds her own, yeah. and actually like fights back. And the fact that like she's like able to like get herself that dumbwaiter, like like throughout, is actually like pretty smart in a eluding him. Mm-hmm. Julie is fucking useless except yeah. for like popping out of do- like right weird doors and screaming. But that okay, so that is why we have to we have to stand Buffy so much because mm. Buffy takes a character like that because I mean in reality Sarah Michelle Gellar is playing somewhat of a similar character to Buffy to Buffy Summers in this film where it's like a little bit of an airhead, a little bit of a beauty queen of this like dumb blonde trope and Buffy really turns it on its head right and this i think this film tries to do that to a degree but the fact that she is she is killed off there's not really any like uh justice or or retribution for her character at all like i think i think were it not for buffy it might have been really easy for sarah michelle geller to be typecast as that airhead Mm -hmm. character for the rest of her career because she also plays a pretty similar character in scream scream 2 and yet, I think in Scream 2, her function is very similar to that of Drew Barrymore's character, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, this is a name. This yeah. is like a hot star right now. Yeah. She's going to, we're going to kill her off really quick mm-hmm. to kind of like, ooh, like you thought she's going to be more of the film. She's not. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Helen Shivers 
functions in almost like, again, like we, I weirdly feel like we get more character development from her. Yeah. Because all we see of Julie is like her moping around her mom being like, are you on drugs? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is my favorite line of the whole film. Very true. Um, yeah. I, I actually think that like Julie, aside from the fact that she's like supposed to be like pure and innocent, doesn't actually function very well as a final girl. Right. Because she can't really she stick up for herself. Can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, and and she 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 has a very confusing arc where she obviously we see from the beginning the girls are the ones who want to confess and it's the yes. guys who convince them that they shouldn't and and Helen turns first and Julie is very hard to convince but they eventually do it and for the rest of the film basically she is stripped almost of having any personality because mm-hmm. she's supposed to be in so much distress from this thing that they've gone through, which of course you would be, but that doesn't help the fact that she's already not a very interesting character. No, we have no, we have no sense of who Julie James is Mm -hmm. prior to the incident where Mm -hmm. at least like the other characters fall within a certain sort of archetype. Mm -hmm. They're able to like fill in the blanks. Yes. Well, that's the thing is you, yeah, you, you get, you get so little of who these characters are before the incident happens. And it's mm-hmm. like, bec- like you're saying, it's like, it's easy to figure out who Helen is because you see her winning that crown. And it's easy yeah. to see who ba- Barry is because he's such a fucking dick that you know that his whole thing is that he's a dick yeah. <laughs> and that he works out a lot. Um, but yeah, Helen, I mean, um, Julie lasting until the end of the film and us having to go through this entire journey with her and her like leading the cast being top build. It's, it doesn't work for me. And she has this, she has the very confusing, she makes a very confusing decision of going back to Missy and confessing, which is crazy. Julie's a fucking loser. She She just like, (laughs) things where it's like, oh, like girl, like stop. You're literally like shooting your wad. Like when she finds Max's body in the trunk and then she goes and gets Helen and Barry and then they come back and then he's, his body's gone, which the whole time, watching that scene like imagine if they came back and the killer was like in the process of taking his body out of the trunk and was like whoops like yeah ooh, like, I know. Gotta go. how the fuck did that happen um and then like has the whole like what are you waiting for which is like such an iconic well, such moment. an iconic moment like, where did you get your balls like where did this come from there's been right. no indication of like because it's only like one note mm-hmm. i know it's you did very last summer. it's very one note i would it escalate yeah. well no but it's also truly like there she gets one note oh <laughs> Yeah, and, like yes. that's enough to like freak her the fuck out. Right, and nothing like, happens to her. No, like he's like he put, he puts the body. the body in the yeah. trunk, but like he doesn't harm her in any way. Yeah, no, it's it escalates very, very, very quickly. Right, and it's it's nice that she oftentimes in films like this, the women will be left out of the final battle and kind of like like they'll get hurt right at the beginning and then like can't participate, which is not something that happens in this movie, and that's nice. I mean, I think in a lot of horror there is that final girl trope and it's about like finding which girl is going to be that final girl right it makes sense that helen is the beauty queen which means she's like the slut right like the sluts always die right whereas like julie james is like pure and like innocent so she lives and yet yet again like i feel like the film dedicates a lot of time to developing the character of helen you're right you're right and maybe that's on purpose to yeah throw us off what i will say is in the book no one dies no one dies no one dies it's also (laughs) different because in the book they um 
they don't hit a fisherman. There's no fisherman aspect. They run over a little boy on his bike. Oh my god! So it's it's like immediately much darker. Yeah. In that regard, and that the person who's like stalking them and sending them notes turns out to be that boy's brother. Uh huh. And he does like attack them, but they all like survive, and then it end up like confessing to the police. Yeah. So it's like this weird like moral shift of the person that they end up hitting like doesn't die right and turns out to be the so they killer. didn't actually so kill like, anyone so then like what was all that for and like are we supposed to be focusing on their guilt right and like the fact like is this like a character study of like guilt and like redemption mm-hmm. except there is none because that person didn't die right it was also a murder it just it's very convoluted it, it, it really is and it does it does feel like a movie that had it has a really interesting premise. And like, I think as soon as you hear that, like a group of teenagers accidentally kill someone, they decide to hide it and then things start happening to them. Like that's fascinating. Like Mm -hmm. I want to watch that movie, but it feels like, you know, a script that had a great premise and then went through like a lot of rewrites where, as you were saying, they're like, we need to add, we need to add in more death. Like there needs to be a bigger twist. We need to see like more violence happening because Mm -hmm. I do think it could have been a lot more powerful had it been a slower, a slower buildup to what, Mm -hmm. to eventually um, maybe a murder at the end. But I actually think the movie would have been a lot scarier had he not just like brutally killed a random character at the beginning. Yeah. No, I think that if, if he had been like more like stalking them and Mm -hmm. fucking with them, just watching them from afar, like like that could have been really interesting and actually played more into this like sense of dread, the sense of like something's incoming, Mm -hmm. which again is kind of from what I remember of the book is kind of like what, how it happens. Right. Like it's not about exacting revenge in the traditional sense of like, you killed, so you should be killed. It was right. more so like, I'm going to like make you remember and make you pay. Yeah, right, right. Which is for what you've more... done, which is very, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's like, okay, like, so the killer is the person that you dumped in the water. <laughs> and also like, can we just address the fact that like when they're dumping his body and then he like grabs onto Helen's crown? Yep. It's like, okay, isn't that the point that someone would be like, Oh shit! Okay, he's still yeah, alive. like he's alive. Let's, let's um, pull him out. <laughs> let's call the cops and be yes. like, "Nope, just like let him sink to the bottom of the ocean." How did he survive? First of all, and second of all, like when he ends up like going into the water at the end of the film, they're like, "His body will wash up eventually." And they're like, "Sounds good." Yeah, he's like, definitely dead. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, because when he went into the water before, that worked out really well for you guys. Like it's uh, yeah, and I mean. I think we should we should move on momentarily, but yes, I think please. the last thing that I want to say is that the ending, the the final moment of this film is so absurd to me. Yes. I hate I hate it mm-hmm. so much. Where yeah, first of all, you see like we don't see a body, so we know they're setting this up for a sequel. Like mm-hmm. he clearly didn't die. Yep. And you see, you see Julie back at college. She's like so happy now because she's back with Ray and everything's fine. Obviously isn't grieving the fact that her best friend died like a couple months ago mm-hmm. is totally fine. And goes to take a shower and gets a mysterious note from someone that looks exactly like the notes from the killer, <gasps> but it's an invite to a pool party. Uh Uh-oh, everything's fine. And then she goes back into the showers where it's now very steamy and someone has written, I still know, with their finger on the glass. And then just (laughs) breaks through the glass and attacks her 
And then it, it just goes black and it's the credits and that's the end of the movie. Just so you know, the sequel does not reference that scene whatsoever. Oh, perfect. And also ends in a very similar, like, additional scene that is so unnecessary and just signifies a sequel that will never come. Okay, it's just like this, amazing. Like, and the thing is, like, that's actually one of my biggest, a biggest critique I have of the slasher genre in general, or, like, honestly, horror in general, is this, like, last-ditch effort for right. that last jump scare. Right. Like, that last thing was like, ah. Which, like, like we this don't, isn't we don't even a movie it. that really had a lot of jump scares. No. Aside from, like, honestly, Missy coming up to the car and being like, hey, like. Right, which is stupid. So like, that's stupid. pointless. Yeah, it's like, I, I guess, yeah, it's that feeling, that. That feeling of like, oh, they should leave the theater still feeling like, like on edge. Ooh, like but something's coming. It's like mm. bad, it's badly done. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so we loved it. Um no, I mean, listen, I'll watch it again. Like it's Oh, I love it. I think it's like Yeah. And, and again, like now, like now I want to watch again for the chemistry between SMG and Freddie Prince. They have none. They interact okay, all of two times. <laughs> there are none. Okay, there's yeah, none. There's none. Okay, perfect. Um, But that, I mean. Because Ray is the most undercooked. Literally, what is he un- doing there? <laughs> he is in maybe three scenes in the whole film and yet gets like top billing. Perfect. It's crazy. I mean, he's hot. He's hot. And like, obviously they were like looking for like the hot movie stars of the day. Right. And. It just, I mean, I guess they achieved that. Right. And they're still hot. And that's really, that's what one more can you ask for? Um, I think that transitions us well into our next segment, which is a little, where are they now? Where are they now? So let's start with most important to least important. So first of all, obviously, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Most important. Um, most important. I will say, let me let me just reveal that yeah. bef- before we recorded this podcast, we were like, oh, like we should we should research like the where are they now segment, and then both of us were kind of like, um, actually like really unnecessary because I could tell you where Sarah Michelle Geller is, um, probably like at every moment of every day. So truly, <laughs> but please go on. Um, so when the film was released, it was right before, or I guess like right at the top of season two of Buffy, which right. went on for seven seasons. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar has obviously been known. She's had a very large movie career. Mm-hmm. Um, has gone to star in the Scooby Doo films and um, lots of other The Grudge. The Grudge. Uh, I mean, she she's a hardworking actress. She's since kind of pivoted more towards. Um, she and Freddie Prince Jr. married and have and two kids. Have been married for seventeen years. And she started a food company called Foodsters. Mm-hmm. Um, she since more recently gotten back into acting more so and is has has a couple pilots in the works. Mm-hmm. Thank God she's returning um, to TV. Yeah. I think a lot of people credit the, f- their like successful marriage to the fact that um, SMG and Freddie are very like very private about mm-hmm. their personal lives. Like they never, they've like never shown like their children's faces on, on social right. media. Like I'm pretty sure she does have photographs of them in her cookbook that came out a couple years ago. But like, right. Other than that, it's like they're, they're pretty private. I think that she chose to go into foodsters with like one of her best friends because she was like, they've, they really like prioritize their family life. And I think like acting makes that difficult. And I think being a, a Hollywood couple, that's always going to be hard. And I think that they seem to be kind of an inspiration for a lot of people totally. um, in the industry right now. So I don't know if you can't tell, like we kind of like them. We do. Um, and if they ever broke up, I would be devastated. No, we're not. Gonna and go this podcast would be canceled. <laughs> so um, Freddie Prince Jr. has gone on to 
a similar amount of acting credibility, also starring in the Scooby-Doo films <laughs> alongside his wife. Um, he also was on a season of 24 mm-hmm. and had his own sitcom and has just been kind of like... And is in another film that I'm sure we're going to talk about, a.k.a. She's All oh, That. She's All That. Yeah, mm-hmm. also kind of a late 90s teen heartthrob. Totally. Um, Ryan Phillippe has also gone on to a vast acting career, including also starring SMG, Cruel Intentions, which I cannot wait to talk about because that's one of my favorite oh my God, films. Absolutely. A whole hot-ass mess. Um, he's more recently been on the TV show Shooter. Okay. On USA, I think. Don't know it. Doesn't um, he sound also like is us. pretty well known for being married to Reese Witherspoon for right. a period of time. And then Jennifer Love Hewitt also has been in a, a lot of television and film. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was in this film, she was uh, starring on Party of Five. She went right. on to be in Ghost Whisperer. She's currently on. Who could forget Ghost Whisperer? A real classic. I mean, I watched. I, I watched it. Of course. Um, and she's currently starring on the Fox TV show 911. Oh, I didn't know she was in that. Mm-hmm. She okay. was also on a season of Criminal Minds. So she and she's um, she actually maybe has been the most consistent working I, of the four, which is interesting just because I mean, SMG definitely was like th- like throughout Buffy, like she was in a ton of films while yeah. currently doing the show, and it definitely feels like she took a break. I think I think it's it seems like a pretty conscious decision on the part of Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. as we were talking about to kind of focus on their family more. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt, she's working. I mean, get yeah, it. she also has gotten married and has had at least one child. Great, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> at least one. Um, I will also say that Max is that guy from fucking Big Bang Theory. Yes. Which, like, the um, fir- like the first min- minute he came on screen, I was like, oh, my God, that fucking guy from Big Bang Theory is in this. Truly. And then Kevin Williamson, who wrote the film, obviously wrote Scream and mm-hmm. created Dawson's Creek and Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. And has had a very, and the following and a bunch of other TV shows has had a very successful writing career. Yeah. So he's really right up our alley. We have a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot, we owe him a lot for what he's given we us, do. really. Yeah, I just think overall, like as there, I feel like there was no one I was researching from this film was like everyone has been successful. Like everyone has gone into as they carried on. I feel like this this film is just like a notch in their bedpost. It's nothing. Totally, like, this is their like the crux of their career. In right. fact, it simply is just like something they did that like really yeah um, continued them on. And again, for those that ship them it's obviously the, the most well known for freddie prince jr and right i was gonna say i feel that the the most lasting legacy of this film is that it started the relationship between our mother and father totally um but yeah it's i think that's the best way you can kind of describe it is that it was it didn't feel like it left a huge mark on pop culture mm-hmm. which is kind of why i started this podcast by saying like i think like the name itself is very memorable and the premise the premise of it is very good the premise of it is very interesting but the film itself i don't think the content of the film holds up as well as one might hope i Mm -hmm. even think like i even feel like if you saw this in theaters in 1997 you might leave like a little disappointed like you, you're not leaving this film feeling like you would leaving scream well yeah because i think especially coming off of scream which was a huge reboot of the horror genre and the mm-hmm. slasher genre i mean scream is incredibly graphically violent and also mm-hmm. really really funny and like socially conscious and like yes kind of flips a script of like what a horror film is and to piggyback off that which kind of feels like what it was 
it's a pretty bland, straightforward slasher. Totally. And and yet is there's barely any blood in it. Right. The deaths are usually like a lot of like jump cuts, like almost like off-screen deaths. It's like this very weird yeah. way of splicing it all together. And it's not funny. And <laughs> <laughs> It's not funny. It's not funny at all. No. It's it's really not fun. And that's really too bad because yeah, there was a lot of potential with the title yeah. and with the premise and especially with the cast. Like they could have done a lot. Totally. Um I still love it. <laughs> I, I know you do, and that's fine. And I and like again, like I'll watch it again. Like I I don't hate it by any means, but yeah. like I think if you're watching it critically and you're thinking about what it could have been, it's just it's just a little disappointing. Um we want to end the podcast, and I think we want to end every episode by kind of asking ourselves, because we're revisiting a film that is from our youth, is this a film that you would recommend to a young person today? Yes. Only in in the context of if you were, if someone was like, hey, like, I want to watch some slasher, like teen slasher flicks. Sure. I would, I would 100% be like, watch Scream. Yeah. Watch... Uh, I would I'd equate this with like urban legend, which mm-hmm. I really hope we get to at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of like very like very nineties. It just like it. It has that nostalgia factor of like oh like I know these people. Like everyone in this, in this movie, I'm like oh like I I mm-hmm. recognize them and I empathize with them, even if all their characters are stock and absolute shit. I'm like I still like like these actors, right? And there's nothing like glaringly offensive. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the first lines, I actually. I never knew her breasts were so ample. Which then Jennifer Love Hewitt's character responds with saying, I'm um, I'm on sexist overload as it is, kill the commentary. Mm -hmm. Which that was actually kind of like a nice. Yeah, there's another. He makes like one other comment where he's like, he's like, oh, should I be terrified of your IQ or something? Like, there's a few sexist comments. I think the representation of women, especially, is lacking a bit. But I don't think it's so glaringly bad that I would that I wouldn't recommend this mm-hmm. to someone today. But I think it's kind of like what you said. Like, I don't think you would recommend this film like in a vacuum on it. Like it can't stand on its own. If you were like, yeah, watch it in a grouping with Scream and with like like with these other right. kind of like 90s horror films. Whereas I could easily say, like, to a young person today. <laughs> I love how we're referring to them as a young person, um, <laughs> as if we are some kind of wise elderly owl. Um, but to say kind of like, yes, absolutely watch Scream. Like Scream's incredible. You'll love mm-hmm. Scream on its own versus this film is like you kind of have to there's you have to preface it a little bit. You have to kind of be like, it's not as good as Scream, but like it's a fun watch. Mm-hmm. Like you you should check it out. That kind of thing is how I would have to recommend it, I feel. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean I- yeah, I agree. Okay, great. <laughs> well, I think that that about wraps it up. I mean, so. I think that we could talk about this forever, but as um, I, I'm, I'm sure will be the case with all the films we talk about. Yeah, they can always be deci- dissected further mm-hmm. and unpacked more. But you know, we're here to give you a really quick, deep dive, um, and we obviously always want to hear your guys' thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, about what you think of the film. And, yes, please. You know, what did we miss and what needs to be touched on more? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So if uh, I was going to say as a reminder, but like, it's not even a reminder. We've never even talked about this. You can follow us um, on Instagram and on Twitter at teen spirit pod. Um, and you can also send us an email at 
teenspiritpod at gmail.com. Um, we're probably most likely to, to check our DMs. So that's a good way to contact us. But again, we would love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to continue debating this in the comments. Um, but we really appreciate you guys tuning in for this. Again, this was, this is our first episode. Um, we're really excited to keep doing this. Um, so let us know what you liked and what you didn't like, because we really are open to suggestions from yeah. you guys. Um, um, but until next time. Yeah. Bye, bitches. Bye, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>